Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Program this morning. Uh, it's a nice, damp little morning out there this morning, so if you're still in bed and you haven't looked out the window yet, there's a little bit of rain happening. I'm Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants, and I'm going to be the host this morning, and hopefully all will go well. <laughs> we can only hope. Now, we have got Chloe Foster in the studio this morning, uh, horticultural teacher extraordinaire. <laughs> How are you this morning, uh, Chloe? Very well, Stephen. What an introduction. Thank you yeah, very well, much. I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So, Chloe is in her element if people want to talk native plants. So, you know, when we get back to ring, uh, ring in time, when you can all get on the phone, and ring in and have a chat to us. If you've got any questions about native flora at the moment, Chloe's the person, so we've got her. And we have a new guest this morning, somebody who's never been in the studio before and he, he looks completely nervous. And drum complete, roll. Drum roll. <laughs> I haven't got one keyed up, ready no, to go, need, unfortunately, but there you go. Uh, Peter Harris uh, from Tuberous Begonia Garden in Ashbourne. Uh, and for those who don't know where Ashbourne is, it's between Woodend and Trentham. So you go out there and have a look. Peter, welcome to the gardening program. Thank you, Stephen. What an introduction. Yeah. Mind you, that early morning start. Yeah. I I don't know about that, Steve. Yeah, well, uh, you'll get used to it. It's otherworldly for all of us. Oh, (laughs) come on. (laughs) He had to be at my place at six this morning, so... yeah, it's still dark at six o'clock in the morning, you know. It was still dark. I'm hanging out for daylight savings to end because... It's too dark oh, in the mornings. Yeah, but I, I'm an evening person. I yeah. quite like Everyone says that to me when I have a whinge about daylight yeah, savings. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd like it to be 12 months of the year, to be honest, <laughs> yes. except, of course, when I have to get up to come down to 3CR. Yeah. And in which case, yes, when it's dark, getting out of bed in the mm. morning, that's not daytime. And you're a little bit dark from maybe a dinner out the night before. Yeah. It's a, it makes things a bit chill. Oh, I try not to have a dinner out. I did that the very first morning I was in here doing this panel. I actually had dinner out the night before, and I reckon one too many glasses of wine, <laughs> and I regretted it. A bit too dusty. Yeah, so I decided that wasn't a good idea. No. Now, we're going to have a little chat first, I think, about begonias. Because I Peter's, think we need to talk about yeah, the begonias. Peter, Peter's first in, so we need to talk about begonias. Yep. But uh, the new guy gets to talk first. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I will There's talk no with you. There's no hierarchy in here. No. Okay. No. Right. Except I'm in charge. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. Now, um, tuberous begonias are one of those sort of plants that people find mysterious. They, they either succeed with them or they fail with them. They'll fail with them simply because nine times out of ten begonias are overwatered. All begonias, not just tuberous begonias. So I started growing tuberous begonias about 30 years ago. Can I ask a question first? Go for it. What's the difference between a tuberous begonia and a regular begonia? Okay, begonias are broken into three different categories. There's right. tuberous begonias, which are a woody tuber, so the plant has its growing season, dies back to a woody tuber underground over winter, a rest winter. period. There are cane begonias, which, yeah, which are there are old-fashioned granny's begonias. And then they there all are all old-fashioned granny's begonias? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> Stephen's the, got a lot of them. The, the cane begonias are wild, look. Yeah. Um, and then there are the Rex begonias, which are grown for their leaves and pretty stem colorations. Right. All can be easily killed by overwatering. Are they all taxonomically begonias? Begoniaceae, yeah. Yeah. All of them. Okay. And there's millions of them. Yeah. They're finding new ones in the, around the world all the time. New begonia species are cropping up. New species? Up. Yeah, new species are cropping up almost weekly. Wow. Uh, it's just amazing. And, and they can... I'll butt in here just with a little bit of a, an aside comment and, and because I can... Um, when we were in Madagascar some years ago, I found a begonia growing in the forests there that quite literally was about two centimetres tall. Wow. 
and it had the most minute little leaves and a tiny little white flower sitting at the top and it was growing in the moss on the sides of rocks in the forest. No idea what species it was. I don't know whether I discovered a new one, but it was so minute. It was just tiny. Wow. And at the other extreme, when I was at Machu Picchu <laughs> years, years ago, <laughs> walking the Inca Trail, uh, we found a begonia growing along the Inca Trail that must have been four or five metres tall. Whoa. Uh, it was a caney-type yep. begonia and it had heads of tiny white flowers, but they were huge. And the local guides aren't really good at plants. And somebody, some English walker, had told him it was an elderflower. Oh. And, and so he was going right around way. telling everybody this thing was an elderflower. Oh, no. Well, it did have little tiny white flowers yeah. in clusters, so I guess I can understand where that came from. But, of course, it was completely not. Um, and, again, I couldn't have told you what species it was, but it just gives you a sense of the diversity in the genus. It is just incredible. Yeah. They are, they are. They migrated into Europe in the late 1800s. Europeans started to pollinate them, play with them, which is where I come in, not in the 1800s. But, <laughs> oh, come but, on, Pete, you look but, at that. But, but, well, it was an early money start. <laughs> um, we, we, we decided a few years ago to go back in and start pollinating and creating our own varieties. And we thought if we work on this closely enough within the, the nursery industry, we, we could end up with some really good crosses and then allow people to make their own choices and give it to a loved one and name it after that person. So we started to play with begonias and move pollen around. And, and, and if you're like me, you need some glasses, it's not an easy job <laughs> because that's the little female flower I'm holding up. That's the, the other thing with the, the begonias, studios. yes. You've got a female and male flower. Oh. On all plants have a male flower in the middle and, and two female flowers either side of them, so which the I'm, I'm breaking them. Yeah, you're much more showy. No, the males are the more oh, showy dang. ones. The female, the, the, <laughs> Sorry, the female Chloe. ones, and I'm holding up to a big, nice big double flower, which is our male, and then our little female. And the female can always be found with the ovaries at the bottom of the petals, the little tri- three-winged ovary down there. Oh yes. Oh yeah, and and we we basically move pollen from the male flowers. And I'm just looking in my box of show and tell down here to find a flower. I'm just looking with some pollen on it. Um, basically, we, we move the pollen onto the, the, the female parts of the flower. And if conditions are right, the pollen stems then grow down and fertilise the eggs at the bottom of the female flower. And then it's, 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 it's not the begonia, begonia seed is not easy. It, it's like dust, and, and a sneeze on begonia seed will blow it yeah, away. You, yeah, Each you don't pod, want to have a cold when you're you it. You most certainly do not. Each pod probably contains 50,000 seeds. It's that fine. Goodness me. We, we basically sow it under lights because we like to sow our seed and get it up in, in the, the early parts of winter. Begonias fall into the, the um, light-sensitive category of plants. Plants come in two categories. They come in heat-sensitive and they come in light-sensitive. Begonias need a minimum of 10 hours light to germinate. So we, we basically stimulate that with timers and lights and heating, which puts the begonia, it thinks, into spring. After maybe three weeks, the little seedlings pop up, and, and trust me, they, they are the size of pinhead. <laughs> Seed leaves are, are the you most... you sure you should be doing this as you get a little older and no, your eyesight's <laughs> failing? <laughs> it, 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 is, it, is, it is difficult, and, and there, there is a partner of me sitting in our potting shed in the middle of winter, probably after dinner, with a chopstick and a takeaway plastic fork modified to handle these little things, and they are seriously no more than three, four millimetres wide. Oh, it all takes time. Yeah. 
With, with, with a lot of love and nourishment, we get them up to potting up size and we get them into two and four and five inch pots, varying on the size of the mm. plants and how vigorous they've been, how well they've look, been nourished. Um, they probably sit in their three inch pots, four inch pots for four to five weeks, at which time they, they grow exponentially. The, the, little, the little buggers tend to grow at about a seed leaf every two weeks. So they, they, they go from nothing to a handleable seedling fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they grow out of that, I'm, I'm very weak and I need lots of help, to I'm now robust enough to go out in the big wide world and be potted up and put into the nursery batches. So is that why you pot them so little is because they, they need... They need to be separated. You'd have all sorts of fungal issues, wouldn't you, if you left them in their pots too long? Begonias, because they 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 are young and they don't have the ability to to photosynthesize, they have to be liquid fed. And I just use a maxi crop and 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 any basically any commercial Mm -hmm. soluble fertilizer at, at recommended strength. Um, every week. Now, lots of fertiliser around also gives lots of other weed situations coming up. One of them is the slime. Everybody know that slime that grows across yeah. the seed yes. trays? The, the pest that comes in there are the fungal gnats and the little fungal gnats are those little black flies. You know when you leave mm. your fruit oh. around that gets overripe and those little yeah. black flies hang around it? Well, they lay lots of little eggs and of course they, they eat the seedlings. Oh. So that's why we move them on fairly quickly and get them out of that, that nursing phase. Yeah. Now, between that and actually getting something like you've got standing in the studio with flowers on them, what's the sort of time lag between that pricking out stage and getting a, basically, I would say, a saleable begonia? Because we force them, Mm. so so we make them germinate earlier. Um, From me sowing the seed, which happens in June-ish, to what you see here now, it's an eight-month process. If we don't force them, if we just sow the seed when, when the, our, our ambient temperature is 17, 18 degrees, we probably wouldn't sow seed until November oh, right. where our ambient temperature is good and our daylight hours are sitting around the 15-hour mark. That would then not flower the follow, until the following yeah, so you summer. Would have a, you'd have so an we, we're trying to cut down the, yeah. Yeah, we're trying to cut down that flowering time. All right. Well, we'll go into some more of the details of growing the begonias on because that's what's going to be the thing that's going to interest our our listeners I guess is if they end up with a tuberous begonia and for those who have ever been up to Ballarat they know the begonia festival up in Ballarat they'll know what plant we're talking about there is nothing subtle about (laughs) about tuberous begonias they are big they are blousy they are in your face they They mimic they mimic. Yeah. They'll mimic camellias. They mimic roses. They mimic carnations. They mimic water lilies. The, the trouble is mimickers. they often do it better than the original. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> they do. Yeah. So, yeah, so they're those great big flowers. And I guess the other thing we just need to mention in passing before we move on and we'll come back to begonias again is that there's two basic classes of your tuberous begonias as far as growing them, isn't there? Yes, there is. Tuberous begonias come in the standard begonias, which need a stake in them, simply because the flower heads are so big. And, and, and an average tuberous begonia flower would be somewhere between, for, for, for the feet and inches people, six to nine inches. 
for, Which is a big for the centimetre people, what is that, 12, 12 to 20 yeah, centimetre I, I still thing, think in feet around about. Yeah. Um, um, so that, so the, the, the standard begonia is all need a stake because the flower heads are so big, they'll, they'll break the, 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 the growing stem off. Yeah, because the, the stem is very fleshy and it's soft. Very, they're, they're, they're all water, yeah. basically. And so the other one... And then we come into the, the hanging basket yeah. begonias, and, and they're distinguished between, between... The differences are they don't need a stake necessarily, and, and their flowers are held on much longer stem, which hang down and, and in a hanging basket, like your fuses. They, yeah. but you hold them up. They're really so useful on the veranda. They give you something Absolutely. to bump your head into. No, um, no, 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 no. Duck, duck. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I can't help it. Now, before so, we go any further with anything, we probably should mention the talkback line. So why that not? Pe- yeah, so that people could ring in, because I'm sure there will be people out there, here's me just assuming, um, that will want to know more about begonias, and it's probably a good idea if, if they direct the conversation in some ways because they'll have specific questions to ask. So why don't we open up the the line? You can ring Rosemary uh, to have a chat to us on 94190155. That's 94190155. So if you wanted to talk to Peter about begonias... Uh, you wanted to talk to Chloe about native plants, or you want to talk to me about oh, almost anything. Um, rare plants. Go rare plants. It. Yeah, Any we, plant. we, we, we could go down that that track, um, or we can, you know, we'll deal with the lemon tree questions if they come in. So I love talking about lemon trees. Yeah. It is interesting though. Everybody's lemon trees, got a lemon tree. Yeah, Everybody and does. but lemon trees seem to generate so much talkback and and so much. Uh, angst amongst our, our listeners, you'd wonder that anybody actually grows a lemon. <laughs> and they keep us in a job. Well, they do, yeah, <laughs> yeah in our non-paid position, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. So please do ring in if you would like to um, uh, have a chat to us about anything horticultural at all, 94190155. Uh, so we'll wait for some calls to come in. In the meantime... Chloe, have you got a little something you'd like to chat about this morning um, that is probably not begonia? <laughs> that is not a native one. <laughs> not so little. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think everyone is at this point at the moment. It's zucchini harvesting oh, yeah. season. Oh, what do you do Glatt with them? time. Oh, my goodness. So what do you do with them? Do do? I've been making a lot of zucchini and chocolate cakes because this particular recipe I have... Does it use a lot of zucchini? It uses though? two cups of grated zucchini, and that's, oh, that's, not that's a decent amount of zucchini. So, so I've been so making how that. Many that, that zucchini the one I brought in will probably get us about 10 cakes. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so, 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 so you're still going to have a glut, even yeah, if you make a lot of cakes. Is that about yeah. a five kilo, four kilo <laughs> Yeah, be close to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's verging on marrow. I <laughs> think so too, mm. yep. If I left it any longer, it definitely would be marrow. And really, that's what a zucchini is a baby marrow, That's really, in a sense. Are. Yeah. My you know, mother used to cut slices of those and fry them in butter. Oh. Actually, I... Well, well I, that's my memories as a, as a you young man. had too much of it, man, sounds and, like. And it's like we were far, my parents were farmers, and when there was a glut, we ate zucchini morning, night. Well, I've, there's a couple of things I do. I cut them up into cubes and freeze them, so I can chuck them into soups and, and whatever, and I, or I'll grate them and freeze them do you, as do, well. Do you defrost when you bring them out of the freezer, or you just let them go, put them straight in oh, frozen? I just chuck them straight in. <laughs> oh, good. So yeah. I usually yeah. just, I'm a bit of... Well, they're mainly filler anyway, aren't they? They're exactly, they're yeah. a filler. And when they get to the size that they are, there's not much taste no. left in them. So it's just more like nutrients, chuck it into your, you know, your winter soup or something. Yeah. So... I, I want to try to grow some heirloom zucchinis because mm. they're heirloom stuff. 
There's, generally there's tastes a, the straw, better. There's a stringy one, isn't there, where you, you just yeah, break it out and it's all stringy. Yeah, the spaghetti squash, yeah. The spaghetti one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've tried those. That's actually quite nice. I always just grow the plain old blackjack zucchini. Yeah, most people Because do. they're so fun to grow. And if you haven't grown, if you haven't done any veggie gardening or grown any food plants before, zucchinis are such a good starting point because you put them in and if they get past that, if you, oh, I use snail bait, if, you, if they get past and beat the snail baits when they're younger, yeah. they just, they'll just grow and they'll just continue to produce yeah. fruit and, they, and they're big croppers aren't they big oh yeah, yes heaps. far too big a croppers yes you start losing friends when you give them bags of zucchinis oh on a regular so basis and, but, but they're like the begonias too they have the boys and the girl flowers and yes, the same plants don't they, they do yeah. yeah so different family to the begonias mm. but the pumpkins watermelons zucchinis yeah, all that group they've all got boy and girl flowers all have boy and girl flowers and how do we pick the girl flowers well, actually, similar to this, actually, the, the female parts in the centre, the stigma and style is a bit more um, twisted, curly. I don't know what words you would say it's to describe It's a three-pronged one, isn't it? Does, does it open yeah, it does have three prongs. It has yeah, the prongs yeah, on yeah. it, yeah. And, so, and yep. the female flower always gets the little sort of ovary behind the flower. The immature well, fruit so down the bottom. Yeah, so you yes. can see the little ovary there. And the male um, flower stalk is a lot longer, whereas the female is uh, connected pretty much connected straight to the main stem of the plant. Oh, so maybe too. that's held up high to shape pollen or Yeah, the male whatever. flower is, is held up a lot higher. Mm. And actually, I was reading recently, because I was looking at my pumpkin plants, and I thought, there's, all, there's only male flowers on here. What's going on? I had a bit of a Google. Apparently, the female flowers can... They'll start to form later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of weeks later, most of the female flowers will form. And there's only a small, you know, only yeah, that a little window bit of opportunity. Crossover? Have you yeah. heard? Have you heard yeah, that before? Yeah, and look, I think anything in that um, that family uh, is very weather oriented too. Yeah. And you tend to get a preponderance of male flowers when the weather's at certain patterns as opposed to others. So, right. Yeah. So it can be quite a problem. Mm. Um, now we we've actually got a call in, uh, so we might as well go to our first call for this morning, and we have Ruth from Bentley. Good morning, Ruth. Are you there? Yes, good morning. You're a bit ruffled, uh, muffled, my dear. Can you talk into the phone a little bit closer? Yep. That's a bit better. Now, how can we help you? Um, I've got a, a big bin um, that's um, about two metres by a metre and a good 30 centimetres high, and I use that for breaking down a whole lot of leaves and stuff. Yeah, so you make your own compost in it. Yeah. A garden friend of mine chipped a whole lot of um, black pine mulch into it and I'm a bit worried. I don't know what's in the the stuff that makes it black and is it going to ruin all this Mm. mulch. Um, It's it's a fairly innocuous dye, but I can't quite understand why people want to go down that path. Coloured mulches just drive me insane. Was Uh, was it broken down coloured mulch or was it fresh? Is it fresh? No, it's not fresh, but it's... It's not what I'd call broken down enough. Yeah. All right. Well, if if you're going to leave it in the bin and you want it to rot down, I'd just get some good manures in there to uh, lift the nitrogen level up. And a good so, watering. And water it well, yes. If you keep it damp, that helps a lot. Uh, and it will break down yeah. in due course. And I don't think that there's anything in that mulch that is actually particularly detrimental to the garden. It's just something I would never go for. And spread it out. Yeah. Spread it. Don't leave it in no. one big glob. Spread mm. it out so it's nice and thin. Make it another layer no. and then add on top of that. But, no, yes, in the meantime, tell your friend stuff. not to bring around black pine mulch anymore if you can afford <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All righty. 
All right. Thank well, I hope so that much. sort of uh, at least allays your fears, Ruth. Yes, thanks a lot. That's a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Ruth. We'll see you later. But if that compost heap's working, if that compost heap's working effectively, it'll it'll yeah, it'll break, right, that it'll down break eventually. it down eventually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, any fresh bark, wood, all those things takes a time. But so. yeah, and they, and they sap the nitrogen out of, mm. out of your compost because that's what breaks the is the break, breaking down yeah. system. So you need to supplement that with exactly. with extra fertilizer to Even help a, that system. A catcher's worth of lawn clippings to chuck in. Yep, yeah, that's always yeah. good. It heats yeah. up and burns it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yes, anything you can do to just sort of push that forward. Mm. And, wh- and while good. you're on that catcher of lawn clippings, never ever put your hand straight into a compost heap that's had lots of lawn clippings put on it because it will take the skin off. It does heat up. Yeah, mm. it gets really warm. It does, doesn't it? I've which is good because it does burn the weed seeds. That's, yeah. That's which idea. is good. Yep. If you can get your compost up hot enough, I rarely get my compost hot enough. Oh, I've seen I, where you live at the top of the mountain there, crikeys. Yeah, well, and I don't do a, my lawn clippings stay on the lawn. So I don't end mm. up with my lawn clippings for the for the compost. So they stay on the lawn. They just get chopped do, up. Do your rose clippings end up on the lawn too to go in someone's foot or finger? No, no, my rose. Oh, no, if no. I had a lot of roses, which some people realise I don't, um, uh, they would go through the shredder. Oh, excellent. So I have a very large red shredder um, that. Uh, We've just been pruning recently in the garden, and of course I got the shredder out to start shredding this pile that's bigger than the studio, uh, and it lasted for 20 minutes, and the fan belt went. Uh, So then it had to go away and be fixed. It's come back again, so hopefully over the next couple of days I'll start work on on the shredding again. It's an awfully time-consuming job, but it's sort of worth it because I end up with this great big pile of of my own shreddings um, because nothing leaves my premises if it's organic. Mm. I work out how to use everything in one way or another. So if if it's shreddable, it goes through the shredder. If it's compostable, it goes into the compost. If it's too big to, for either thing, it becomes kindling or firewood. Uh, and then the ash goes back into the garden mm. bed in one form or another. Um, and if it's weedy things that I can't put into the compost, they go into my worm composting toilet system and they deal with those. I was going to ask you what you do with the weedy stuff. Yeah, so the yep. really, you know, things with seeds on, uh, like if I cut down the bronze fennel and I've left it a bit late and the seed's already forming, I cut them off and then they go into the, into the septic tank, which is mm. full of worms and not nice things down in there, Mm. Um, and that deals with it because it turns it into liquid, basically, that gets pumped around the garden, so none of the seed or anything like that that could germinate goes out there. So spuds that are starting to shoot go down in there. Mm. You don't save a few for next year, a few seeds, a few potatoes kicking around there? I've always got bloody potatoes coming up everywhere. I don't (laughs) need to save anything. Um, And so, yes, if I've got sprouted potatoes in the cupboard and they're, they're beyond usage, they go in there. Blackberry stems go in there, uh, onion weed goes in there, oxalis bulbs go in there. Uh, so anything that I wouldn't... Oh, flax leaves, things like that that you oh, can't yeah. shred no. and take a long time yeah. to, to rot. So flax and cordyline leaves, they go into the septic system. So I see myself uh, rather grandiosely as a net green waste importer. <laughs> So okay. On a small scale, if people wanted to do, deal with their weed seeds and not send organics off their property, yeah. they could have a, an old bin and just fill and have a compost tea bin. Oh, as yeah. long as yeah. you cut the bottom, cut the bottom out. Yeah, so let and the wormies do their thing too. I yes. know, oh, but a liquid one. But a liquid one. Yeah, sorry. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Yes. So, so you just fill it with. So fill it with your weeds and anything else that might be. Um, 
Well, what do you do with disease? You put the disease material into the septic, so it would go. It would yeah, if it's something down. that's really nasty, but if it's just you know sort of black spot or black spot. Just those or mildews or funguses yeah. or yeah. whatever, they just go into the compost. Yeah, uh, I don't see that necessarily as something I have to get too precious about. And because I don't, because I'm not a specialist grower, I'm a horticultural tart. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I don't grow anything in such quantities that I need to have specific management. Things for certain groups of plants. I mm. mean, if I had a shade house full of begonias, I'd want to be fairly careful with my hygiene in case I introduced something nasty. But because I might have one begonia on the front veranda, a la from Peter, mm. um, uh, then I'm not too precious about things because I don't have to be. Biodiversity you know. is a pest and disease control in itself. Of course it is. Yes. But, but then, it works really well. then proper, proper plant management aids and, and protects the plants against a lot of diseases, a lot of pests. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. keep your plants healthy, make a big difference. Don't, don't water at night and, 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 and allow foliages to dry off, um, especially as the weather's cooling down. Because yeah. begonias, I would take it, would be a bit like your zucchinis and other things. They'd be very prone to mildews and things very, later in the season. Very prone to powdery they? mildew, very mm. prone to wind damage. Mm. Um, so you, you need to make sure that you do allow the foliage to dry off in the evening, morning waters only. Yeah. And, and, and really, once again, we, we go back to that rule of thumb with your watering. If, if you can feel moisture down to the first joint of, of your finger, leave the thing alone. Yeah, doesn't Don't give it any more. Mm. And, of course, you know, when, when I say the biggest killer, the reason overwatering kills begonias and, and a lot of plants out there is because the, the root systems which take up the water are the very the, the growing tips. So, so if, if you think your plant's wilting because it needs a drink, more often than not, it's been kept too wet and those growing tips have died. So the plant's so ability to take yeah, up water yeah. is hindered. So, so the, the plant's will give it more water. See, yeah. everything, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, watering okay. is one of those things that is a minefield for those who aren't used to dealing with different types of plants. Partic- particularly with the weather system we've had this year. It's mm. not been a Everybody's normal Everybody's got year, into indoor plants again, of course. So uh, every time I sell something that somebody might use as an indoor plant, you get the inevitable question about how do I water it. it or it, how it, often. Yeah, how often. And I say Thursday at, at 2.30 in the afternoon. Oh, that would take you literally. Yeah, that would <laughs> take me literally. I, I remember being at an orchid meeting many, many years ago and, and the question on how to water an orchid came up and, and one, of, one of the establishments said to me, the best way to order an orchid, young man, is to go away, have a drink yourself, and leave the orchid alone. Mm. <laughs> yes. The best way. Underwatering is less of a problem in almost any plant. Almost really. any it's plant. It's easier correct. to get a plant back if it's been underwatered than if it's been overwatered. Well, they've got, to, they've got to remake their roots up. Or yeah. If they've been underwatered, all you've got to do is rehydrate them. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so this is like after being out for a big run, you just need a good drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or after well, a heavy so night, I understand. Having <laughs> <laughs> not done it very often myself, but you know that's that's the the theory I I believe. All right, did, did we finish with zucchini? We, or not? We, I don't we, remember we, what we did. We, we, we got the recipe of the chocolate cake. You got the here. recipe. I can share it with people if they need some help. I don't know. I've, they just they just keep growing and. Mm. I sort of think at the start of the season, I was like, I'm going to pick my zucchinis when they're at a regular zucchini size yeah. this does, year. So does every, does every, sorry to cut you off, does every female flower set a zucchini or if there's an absence of bees? If it gets pollinated, it? So, it so it is. it has to be pollinated yeah. to yes. make sure it sets. Yeah. Do they need cross-pollination or do, do you need one or more than one zucchini plant or is it no. just the abundance of so. males? No, you don't. Just you can male. just take the male yep. stamens out of the male flower and pollinate the female yeah. one if you want. So, in fact, you can keep your zucchini gluts down to a minute 
minimum by not planting too many zucchinis. So, yes. so we could remove the female flowers if we really didn't want any. If we, yeah. if we've got, and of course you could set. always do uh, stuffed zucchini flowers. Yes, you could, which are delicious, although oh. a bit fiddly. Yes, a little bit fiddly. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be one of those people who loves cooking. <laughs> and, yes. and, and the ratatouille is zucchinis and tomatoes. Yes. And there's plenty of both around Maybe now. lots of that, yeah. Yes. And I think a lot of people are harvesting all their tomatoes. What about some chutney? I've got and tomato my, um, my mum's friend has made two jars of zucchini chutney for me already, so I haven't had to go down the chutney route because I've already got them coming into me. <laughs> but yes, you can make chutney... You can put them in risottos and soups and yeah. So you're giving zucchinis away to get rid of them? Giving and them away. And, so and it's coming, sorry, photo, and the chutney's coming back. I, yeah, I put a photo in on, um, I sent it into Liz for our Facebook and Instagram this morning. I harvested four of these big ones the other day and I left two still growing on a couple of plants. So I, I've, given it, I've given three away already and I've still got this one left and I'm, because it's the biggest one, I'm still a bit attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't so, get too sentimental about I'm your zucchini, Chloe. <laughs> I know, but I'll probably make a massive zucchini pesto pasta with it as well. That's my favourite thing to do with them. Are you allowed to have street parties now that COVID's lifted? You could have a street party. I could have a street party. And, and everybody has to go home with a zucchini. zucchini. Yes. <laughs> it's just one way of using them up. I, I, I planted one punnet of zucchinis this year, and normally I lose a couple of plants. So there's about five or six plants in the punnet, but I didn't lose any plants yeah. this year. And five or six is more than enough it's even a lot. for an average family. I, I, yeah, I've had years where there's only where only one plant from that punnet has gone has survived. Mm. Um, but they've all done well this year. So they're just they've yeah. just been going they've been going And of course on. you can always compost if you have to. Yes. I mean I don't see that as a waste necessarily. People say, Well you can't waste food, you can't waste food. But if you can't eat it for whatever reason yeah. The compost bin is the is the ultimate answer to all of your um, it is excess not. needs. Every, everything. I'd rather give it to someone. Anyway. Yeah, well, but then hope that someone will cook with it and not throw yeah. it in their landfill bin if they... Yeah, well, certainly I wouldn't want to see that happen. But yeah. my compost bin, my, my compost bins actually end up with a lot of largesse because I said I was a net green waste importer and I'm quite literal about that because almost every night I go around to the local little IGA and all their vegetable scraps they put into boxes. Oh, yeah. And I take all the boxes home. I go through them and I find the things the chooks will eat. So they get the lettuce leaves and the other things that are in amongst it that they will eat. Um, uh, other things go into the compost. If there's a sprouting spud, it goes down into the septic system. Yep. Um, but everything gets recycled out of those boxes uh, virtually every night. Um, so I just sort of sort it out into different mm. sort of batches and it goes into different places within the system. Mm. And dare I say, some of it actually ends up in the kitchen. Oh, well, are your chickens still laying? Mine no, are no, they're shopless. hopeless at the moment. Um, I've got two girls left and I've got a duck and a drake and uh, I haven't had an egg in weeks. One oh. of the chickens has molted so she looks disgusting uh, and they're getting too oh, old she's now. She's not anyway. listening, Stephen. Oh, yeah. poor little thing. One, one of mine. Well, that's Cacciatore. Um, Cacciatore. Uh, Crispy's looking fine at the moment. <laughs> Um, I tended to name my... Nuggets? Have you had yeah, a nugget? I've had nuggets. Yeah. I, I've, I've had parmigiana. I've had yeah, <laughs> you know, almost every recipe you can imagine. Um, ah, we have, we a, have a, caller. a caller in. Surely, uh, surely not from the UK. Yes, yes it is. Oh, we, hello, is that Ellen? Hello, Ellen. Yes, sir, Ellen. Yes, Ellen. Hi. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm doing well. I'm a long-time listener, and I've always wanted to 
give you guys a call and just say how great I think the program is. Oh, fantastic. So um, whereabouts in the I, UK are you, Alan? I, I'm in the East Midlands. Ah, yes. Oh, I'm, nice north of, uh, I'm north of Beth Chateau and Essex. Ah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, I know fairly well where you are then. That's fantastic. Um, now, you've rung in, it would seem, on our line here to talk about proteaceous plants. So how can we help you with that? Yes. So I know they're native to South Africa, uh, and I know I'm calling Australia. <laughs> well, there's right. a lot of proteaceous yeah. plants in Australia as well. Great. All I can offer these poor little plants, they've come in six-inch pots from uh, a grower in Cornwall. Yeah. And I wanted to know how to how to pot them on. I did buy the specialist uh, compost yeah. uh, because I'm on glacial moraine clay. Yeah, so which they wouldn't enjoy. No, All right, if you've got a specialist okay. compost, the one thing to remember about the Proteaceae family is that they don't like strong... Um, phosphate-type fertilisers. So you need to stay away from those sort of fertilisers. Here in Australia, we do actually have native plant fertilisers that we would use on proteaceous plants that, uh, that okay. avoid um, those things, but I'm not sure what you can get over there. And, and they hate, all proteaceous family hate any root disturbance. Don't tickle their roots, don't break the root oh, ball, okay. don't bash yeah. the root ball, slip it straight out of one pot and straight into okay. another pot. Yeah. Um, Alan, we just had a, a note come in. Alan, you're a little bit unclear, so I'll just repeat. You're asking about um, potting up proteaceae plants yep. over where you are. Yep. So, yeah, look out for yep. um, either potting mixes that don't have any added fertiliser in them so that you can find a fertiliser that has low phosphorus in it and add it in yourself. Does that make sense? Okay. And the other thing I would suggest... Sorry. We're, we're oh, crossing sorry. over each other because of the distance. What, it's a what, bit what, awkward. What uh, time is it there? Um, eight eight thirty, almost nine p.m. But I'm a day behind. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh well, I, I hope yesterday was really nice for you, and I hope tomorrow is fantastic. Yeah, uh, Alan. The other thing I would say is, if you're potting up anything proteaceous and you're in a cool climate like you are in in southern England, try and do it in the spring. Don't repot in the autumn or early winter because then the root systems are going to sit in wet, soggy potting mix without the roots growing out into it until the spring. So always repot in the spring. Well, they want really hot. Should I put them in uh, like a ventilated greenhouse? Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be the best thing. Yeah. They don't want high humidity, but they do want you do want to keep the frost off them and not wet feet. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, so I hope that gives you some ideas. Oh, and and I have to say I'm really chuffed because I think you're the first caller we've ever had, as far as I'm aware, from the UK that's rung in our program, which is fantastic. International caller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we, we'd send you a medal if we had one. I'm trying, actually. Tilopia's at home this year. I've listened for years, but they... Uh, you guys get me through my winter because you're always complaining about how hot it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. All right, well, thank you for ringing in, Alan, and uh, well, I hope you, you do so well with your um, South African proteaceae and maybe you'll include a few Australian ones amongst them as well. Uh, I'd love to see you growing a Waratah. That would be fantastic. I'll I, I give it a try. All right, well, good enjoy luck. the rest. Of, well, enjoy your evening and we'll catch up again sometime. All right, thank you. All right, bye.
Thank you, Alan. Oh, what a mic. treat. We don't yes. get international callers every day. It no, is. we don't. Yeah. But this is part of the fun of modern technology, of course. You don't have to be listening to us on the radio. You no. don't have to be within the, the normal sort of distance that we can transmit to. You can pick up the program anywhere. Absolutely. And we've just proven that with yes. Alan. Yes. <laughs> must be listening live through the 3CR website or something. Yeah, something like yeah. that, which you can do. And, uh, and certainly, I can remember in the bad old days where if somebody in Bensdale picked us up, it was sort of, woohoo, <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, but now, really, quite literally, anybody can listen yeah. to us if they've got the right technology, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, and 3CR is available on, like, digital radio now and all of the radio apps that you yeah. can listen yeah. to as well. So. And, and we have our podcast podcasts out there for those who like to listen afterwards. I had yeah. somebody in the nursery yesterday, the day before, who said they always listen. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. Why don't you ring in? He said, I do it on podcast. And I often think, oh, I should ring in. And they think, no, but it's actually not right. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't. Yeah, so many people listen to the podcast and catch up later. And I don't blame them. I mean, we finish at 9.15 and a lot of people don't wake up until about 9.30 on a How Sunday morning. How dare they? <laughs> yeah. well, we've got to be up. I yes, know. Yeah, yeah. I know. Be fair about it, folk. You should be up listening to us at yeah. this time. You should be dressed. You should be have, have had your breakfast yes. uh, and be ready to go out in the garden as soon as the program finishes. Ideally. Yes. <laughs> realistically, no. No, no. And in fact, I don't really want to know what everybody's wearing if they're listening to us on the radio <laughs> at the moment. Thanks all the same. Um, look, I'm, I'm trying some tilopias at home this year. That lady's talking about yeah. proteas. And I'm, I'm kind of curious whether they'll go through my frost. Because yeah, because you, out where you are at Ashbourne is a pretty cold place. We'll go down yeah. to minus eight yeah. in winter. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and if I was going to be rude, I'd rainfall. say it's pleurisy plains. Pleurisy plains, yeah. is, that's a common one. Come on, <laughs> hit me with something better than that, even though it was an early start. Yeah, yeah so, all but, right. They should be fine if they're in a protected, if they're protected from that frost. Well, I've, I've got this fantasy that I want to have an acre of cut flowers Monday, and I thought, well, let's put twenty plants in and see how they go. Well, we'll give you something to live for, Peter. Well, yeah. we'll um, it'll keep me going. Won't <laughs> yeah. All right, we better mention the, the call-in line again so that people can ring in because we've got a blank board at the moment. So it'd be lovely to hear from somebody. Um, so the ring-in number or the phone-in number is 94190155. So give us a ring-in, come and talk to us. We've got uh, Peter from Tuberous Begonia Gardens. We've got Chloe, the expert horticultural teacher on uh, native plants, and I'll fill in some gaps. Everything's, <laughs> everything's zucchini. Yeah, yeah and everything's yeah, zucchini. zucchini. Yeah, um, Peter, yes. I want a quick... Run down on if somebody comes out to see you, and we should mention what's going on out there, which we haven't yet done. I'll do that in a minute. Yeah, but I'd like a quick rundown on the basic principles of managing that begonia that somebody might have just bought from you. All right. Well, the first thing is, I, I my hobby has now become begonias. We, we're predominantly a mail order nursery, but begonias is a little sideline thing I've done, and I, I have this nefarious idea. Some might say that one day we'd like to open um, an autumn garden show out there because the Macedon Ranges really has nothing no, not for the gardening the public. The, the, the Dandenong side... Oh, except of, for you of, and me. Oh, <laughs> the Dandenong side has lots of things. We've got nothing. So, so we basically this year built, a, built a, a large growing house and have got a display going out there with probably 500 plants out of my mm. personal collection, which we have on show. And, yeah. and I guess across that there must be 2,500, 3,000 flowers for people to have a look at and um, then on, on the for sale side of course you know we've got to make a dollar somehow for we poor nurserymen <laughs> I've got um, 
there's probably four to five hundred plants that people are welcome to buy. And of course, buying that plant allows you to name it because we're giving you the naming rights. <laughs> I so think this is that's really something for, That's something yeah. for nothing. Come yeah. on. Yeah, well, I love um, the idea. It's so, a great so, concept. If you want yeah. to buy a birthday present for somebody, which is you unique. buy the begonia and you name it after and you, them. And, yeah. you, and you name it after yeah, them. Yeah, I think it's fabulous. So, so, so basically, you, you take a begonia home now that's flowering and you do that rule of thumb watering. And if you've just tuned in, basically, we say if you pop your finger into the potting mix, and you can, you can feel moisture down for that first inch, first joint. Leave the thing alone. Yeah. Now, we've given them all the fertiliser they need, and I really only use Osmocote. I can't go wrong with Osmocote. Mm. I yeah. use three to four months, and, and it's, it's foolproof. It's mm. like I can't overdo it. If I underdo it, the plant will show me fairly quickly. But as a rule of thumb, once again, I generally put about 20 granules to, a, to an 8-inch yep. pot, 200-millimetre pot for, for those that, that don't know feet and inches. On the metric system? Or the metric yeah. system. Or you could say and 20 centimetres just to confuse everybody. Just, just <laughs> to confuse us. This are other days. So that's a good-sized pot to grow your average one. Look, an, an eight, an eight, a 20-centimetre pot, I'll, I'll be a bit younger than you, um, <laughs> will we'll give, we'll give, we'll give you a plant around about 40 to 60 centimetres high. And they'll flower generally from February through until in the warmer areas, the end of May, Mm -hmm. middle of June. If they've got an artificial light source, which is you've got them inside under a lamp, you might push an extra week or two out of them. But basically the plant will then tell you it wants to go to sleep. And a lot of people get confused about putting begonias into dormancy. If our daffodils look a bit sick and yellow in the middle of summer, early summer, we go, yep, they're going to sleep. If a begonia starts to look a bit sick at the start of winter, we go, it's dying. (laughs) It's not. It's doing everything it wants to do. It wants to go to sleep for the winter. And basically... What I do is I start to hold the water back. Mm-hmm. And, and the plant will show you. You, you. you know when you look at things out in the garden and just going into winter, or going into autumn, winter, they take on a different look. They might take, their leaves might take on a watery look or they might show a little bit of autumn foliage. Or, but they'll show you that they want to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And they'll also start to drop a leaf here and there. Don't panic. Mm-hmm. Your little plant wants to go to sleep. He's done all he's going to do for the year. And he's going to shed leaves. I don't think you should be so sexist to say him because it's got good and boy on the one side. Well, I'm only only (laughs) saying that because of the peacock world, you know, look at them. Yeah. Um, Oh, so the he is dominant. But but, but I'm not sexist. I live with a little magpie too and she's quite grumpy. (laughs) So so come on, I'm I'm not sexist at all. Um, Now, begonias, they they have a filtration system. So they'll they'll need to pull their their minerals and their sugars back into their bulb, which will eventually swell up to three times its size um, but but the leaves have, a, have it's fantastic they have this little shut off and the leaf will fall away and leave a nice clean break it won't yeah. it won't you won't have to trim it you won't so have to you anything. basically then it, just let them dry out dry them off and they'll they'll fall apart it might take two weeks and and, and sections of the stem and the leaves will all fall yeah. off and 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 there might be five centimeter sections there might be ten centimeter sections don't panic. It's, it's going to sleep naturally. We've got some more calls coming oh, through, excellent. so we bet to go We'll keep on. talking we'll, about we'll cultivating we'll the we'll begonias eventually. Um, right. Uh, we have now Vic from Maribyrnong. Good morning, Vic. Oh, good morning, Steve. Is it raining well, out there yet? I, it's been since probably about oh, four in a, five in a, Five or six in the morning, I'd say. Yeah, all right. Well, that's good. So you're getting a little bit of rain in Maribyrnong. Now, how can we help you this morning? 
Ah, Steve, I'm just wondering if you, well, there'll be a pack of bright sparks this morning. Oh, excellent. Uh, uh, I've got a lemon tree, and for the last two years, didn't make lemons, but this year it's making enough lemons to cover the yeah. three years. Right, that's counting this year as well. Um, for every lemon that drops, I reckon two come back in its place. Mm-hmm. And the problem I have is, uh, if you juice enough of them, you won't be able to get rid of enough juice before the uh, juice goes off. Do you know what you're complaining about an advantage, I think? <laughs> if you, if no, my no, lemon no. tree was fruiting as well as yours, I'd be pleased. But you, you can freeze yeah. the juice. freezes mm. beautifully. It's put it into ice block cubes. That's the whole point. There's only so much you can freeze. Mm. Give it away. Uh, Give some lemons what's away. Another way? What's another way to preserve it? Well, you could do preserved lemons. Preserved lemons, perfectly. Yeah, and they're fantastic for Middle Eastern cooking. Yep. Mm. Um, and you can there. drink a lot more gin. No, I'm not drinking any gin. <laughs> Well, so, you need a good well, slice of lemon for every lemon, lemon butter. Mm. Vic, what um, happened during lockdown last year with um, my entire neighbourhood is everyone had a glut of citrus fruits and obviously had no workplace to take them into. Everyone was putting all of their citrus fruits, so limes, oranges, lemons, just out on their front nature strip with a sign on the front saying no, free. No, 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 no. There's one or two or three people already helping themselves, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to get rid of all my lemons. Um, I'm, all I want to know is if you have some kind of secret, apart from freezing, how to preserve the juice. Yeah, the, the, that's the freezing. only way to deal freezing. with it. Yeah. Freezing is the, is the only, way. only way that you're going to deal with yep. the juice, I think. Marmalade. Uh, and, yeah, and unless you're going to make lemon marmalades and all that sort of thing, I find that you end up with a cupboard full of sweet stuff that you don't use terribly yeah. much. But, um, uh, otherwise, just, you know... Ice cube trays yeah, lemon, in the freezer. Lemon, drink, lemon drinks. Yeah. yeah. Lemonade. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So sorry oh, we can't no, actually give you a, a magic bullet, but you know, that should at least lemons give you some for sale. Yes, lemons for sale. Go down and see the local greengrocer and what? see if they'll buy you lemons. No, no, yes. No, 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 no. You ain't getting them. <laughs> Vic, you can't We've win every you so way. Many you options, Vic. Yeah. Yeah. You either have to be generous or you have to be mean with them and therefore you end up with no, too much no, no. juice. I, I, no, no, I just want to know because uh, what I do is I'm already using them as a weight loss program, and I juice at least a half a dozen lemons in the morning and at night, and I drink that every day. Now, um, and I give them away as well, and uh, I don't want to kill me weight loss program. <laughs> I've already, I'm trying to dunk ten. I've got rid of two. Yeah. Well done. All right. Well, I think we can't go much further with this one, though, Vic. So uh, hopefully you'll manage your lemon trees appropriately. Um, and I think you just rang into Skype personally because so many other people struggle no, with their lemon trees and you're I've not. Got, I've only got flowers on mine at the yeah. moment. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your morning, Vic. Okay. Thank you very much anyway. All right. We'll catch up. Okay. All right. Bye. All right, well, we've got somebody else online, so we might go to Thelma, uh, who's in Oak Park. Good morning, Thelma. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Uh, I'm conti- as a continuation of last week, I um, phoned in my crepe myrtle, which is a soy one, 15 years old, grows in an elevated uh, bed mm-hmm. facing west, and... Um, well, this summer it didn't flower much, but that was sort of happening because of the summer. But uh, what's happened, All the le- instead of the leaves changing colour, about three-quarters of the le- tree, the leaves have died. Now, it ha- I had a terrific amount of 
Leandra growing, which got out of hand and it was all around the trunk and everything like that. So I took the advice of the person who I spoke to last week and we, uh, one son cut it back and the other one spent about two days matticking it out. Yeah. And we discovered that the drip, drip system wasn't working around the tree mm-hmm. because it was all choked. Now, I've got all that grass out. What uh, what should I... And there's a couple of slight tracks, uh, cracks sorry, on the lower part of the trunk. Are they vertical cracks I, or horizontal cracks? Horizontal, uh, no, vertical, vertical. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't worry too much about that because it's not going to inhibit the sap flow in the tree and they'll probably heal oh, over right. in due course, so that's not necessarily a problem. Right. So what should I do? Well, I've given it a good soaking of water, mm-hmm. uh, watering it now. The water can get to it, but I, I realise there are trees that need too much, but I don't think it's been getting any. Uh, so what could I do? Uh, sea salt or...? Won't do any harm. I mean, the sea salt's not a fertiliser, it's a tonic. Uh, yeah. And I would recommend sea salt to a lot of people if they've got a plant that's struggling. So that's, right. yes, there's, you, you can't do any harm with it uh, and it is a good tonic and it will help sort of balance your soil and do all sorts of useful things, but it won't feed the tree. But crepe myrtles don't need a lot of feeding either. No, I'd, no. Put, I'd, I'd just put mulch Yeah, I'd just mulch. Yes. Yeah, and and what, 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 what mulch would you suggest putting around? You don't. There's no one perfect mulch. Mm. Uh, Fertilising and mulching in the garden are something that I have this attitude on that it's just like you. You might have a favourite food but you don't want it every day. So no. your garden soil is the same because you're not really feeding your plants in some ways. You're feeding your soil and then the plants take out of your soil what they want. So right. it's not your plant you're worried so much about. It's bringing your soil back into good fettle and you do that right. by diversity. So you might use loosen hay this time. You might right. use um, oak leaves the next time. I mean, it could be a whole diverse range of different things. And you might want to put a bit of manure underneath the mulch. You could layer it oh, like a right, lasagna yes. so you could put some pea straw and then top it off with some broken down, well broken down pine bark or anything else. Mm. Old newspapers, yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah, newspapers as well. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, so right. it's a matter of diversity. So there isn't the perfect right. mulch to put round your tree. Yeah. They're all good, and it's a matter of, you know, put one thing down this time, perhaps layer it with something else, and then the next time try and find another product because everything you put in is going to add different minerals, nutrients, uh, textures, uh, almost everything to your soil. It's probably just right. suffering from and, that And what that would you think about a weed map? Uh, I hate no, weed maps. don't no. do weed maps. No. Weed maps no. are dreadful things. We're begging you. I just you. sort of suppress the leander in case it started coming No, up. you just need no. to keep on top of it. And if you're mulching well, um, uh, you're far better to spend a little bit of time on a regular basis pulling out any weed species that come up right. than putting down weed mats, in which case what happens is the weed mat sits there, the dust settles down in amongst the mulch on top of the weed mat, you end up with a soil base above the weed mat and then all your weeds come back in on top of the weed mat. And you restrict the water getting down. So don't go down the weed mat thing. And besides the fact you're using a a plastic product that eventually is going to break down and go back into the the, uh, environment. So I I just try and avoid plastic products as much as possible. If 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 you're going down the path of weed matting, just look at the newspapers, recycling newspapers, um, your plant will be quite happy too. Right. And as for all the dead leaves, now, it's nearly, uh, uh, there's about, uh, I suppose, about a tenth of the trees got the leaves, green leaves on, which will change colour soon in this time of year. Mm. Now, with the dead leaves, it doesn't look too good. Will I just leave everything alone? Yes, fall off. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. I usually prune it in about August. Yeah, well, if you feel the need to, I don't like pruned crepe myrtles myself. I think they look truncated. Um, I have to because it, uh, you know, the electric wire that runs into oh, the yeah, house. Yeah. Well, yes, if it's underneath the power line, then perhaps you do have to prune. But, yes. um, yeah, that's but fine. I don't prune just leave it right back. I just take a, perhaps a, oh, no, half a metre off yeah. it. But I have a person come in and do that. But I can't do anything at all like that until it's. It's the right time. No, so better to prune to in the winter, yes. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Well, I hope that, that relieves much. your tension a little bit, Thelma. I hope you'll be yes. fine. Yes. I think the tree will be fine. You, so yes. just, yeah, just yes. look after it oh, and it'll be fine. Good. He'll, he'll go to good. sleep quite naturally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. right. Well, enjoy the rest Thank of your day. Thank you very much. All right. Can we just gush about crepe myrtles for a minute? I yeah, you're allowed love to gush as plants. much as you want. Oh, thank you. They're, <laughs> the, they're absolutely beautiful, and they're all flowering at the moment, mm. and I, oh, I love them so much. And the bark is mm. a feature in itself. That's absolutely, why I don't like them yes. pruned too much, because you end up in the winter with this yep. sort of truncated thing with nice bark at the bottom. I'd rather have it if right through the tree. If it's done right, though, if they're pollarded mm. correctly, they are. they look absolutely stunning, because they do get... They flower on new growth yep. in the terminal mm. end, so the mm. ends of branches. So you can prune them back each year and create some really cool, funky shades. Not another lollipop on a stick. Not a lollipop on a stick. No. If it's mm. done properly, you, you, you... We don't want crimes against horticulture. <laughs> you can train yeah. your plant to have a beautiful framework and then you prune back to mm. those, those mm. knuckles each year. But you don't see that anymore because the way that crepe myrtles are grown is they're grown to be a tree with one single yeah. leader. Which is silly because the more leaders you've got the more bark you have yes. and therefore the more, the more a- attractiveness and the more yeah. flowers, but you also got more bark. So yes. I like multi-stemmed trees with, with good bark. Yeah. Uh, all you're doing is getting more bark. Yes. And, so and it's a feature it's, it's because when, when the plant sorry, is, is um, in, in winter, when there's no leaves on it, that bark absolutely stands out. Instead of being looking like a tree yeah. that a tree usually looks like without any leaves, it can look a bit funny. But if it's pruned nicely and you've got a nice framework then it's a real feature in winter when the leaves are off. And and I guess it's different for you and I, Steve, because we come from quite big gardens where if you're in the the suburbs, Mm. you don't have the room to let a crepe myrtle express itself. No, you probably don't, but I have to say I have some objection to the miniature ones. No, they don't flower as good, in my opinion. And they don't get the nice bark. Well, they don't get that big, so you don't get nice bark. So you you lose one of the major features of a crepe myrtle by buying one of these little dwarfy things. But they're so prunable anyway, it almost negates the need for a dwarf And has anybody seen a good plant yet of the dark-leafed ones? They've become very popular in the last year or two, and there's the sort of red-flowered one and the white-flowered one, and I think a pink-flowered one, Yeah. um, with this almost blacky burgundy foliage. They're stunning, but I'm yet to see an advanced one, because it's only a new variety. Yeah, it hasn't been out there long, so it may or may not stand up to yeah, long-term well, garden I usage. Might, I'm going to run an experiment because I'm thinking of putting them in a garden Are you? <laughs> later on in the year. Yes, we'll see how we go. Yeah. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, I'd like to know how they do because yeah. some of these things hit the market. I mean, there was that, and I haven't seen any for ages. I'm not sure that they're still out there. There was that dark leaf eucalypt they were selling for a while. And that well, seems not so to be around. That's no. a, I, you only see that, I've only seen that a handful of times. It's yeah. this weird form of, I think it's... Was that the one red of those? box, eucalyptus polyanthemus, or it's, it's either polyanthemus or camelgelensis, which is the river red gum. So it's either red box or red gum, and they're yeah. very big trees. And I, I've never seen an advanced state, but no. it's a naturally occurring purple leaf form. So I'm thinking it's 
a weird variant that might not have strong genetics anyway, yeah, and they graft it, so that's a whole yeah. heap of other potential issues, issues as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it sort of hit the market with a big bang, and mm. everybody was getting excited by it, mm. and now I don't hear about it anymore, no. so you do wonder. Maybe there's a listener that's growing eucalyptus vintage red. Is that what can, it's called? That's what it's called, yeah. <laughs> yes, I couldn't yeah. remember what it was called. I'd call uh, it Shiraz or Merlot or something, but no, vintage red, I think, in, is what it's called, yeah. or mm. sold by some... By some yeah, so nurseries, it's basically yeah. a no-brand wine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. The Penfolds bin range. Yeah, but it is interesting. These dark-leafed things—they've become very popular, and there's lots of plants with dark leaves that have been out there for yonks and yonks yes. and yonks, like mm. purple smoke bushes and you know all that sort of stuff. Well, that Physocarpus, that nine bark. Yeah, yeah. The, the red leaf there. nine yeah. bark is one of those things that's bit, and that's got great bark too. Hasn't yeah. it? What's this one you're talking about? It's a thing called Physocarpus opulifolius, uh, and there's a purple leaf form of it. It's got a leaf rather like flowering currants leaf. So right. oh, yeah. and all that sort of Yeah, stuff. so that yeah. sort of almost maple-esque shape. gets little white hawthorn-like blossoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a quite dark burgundy brown. Yeah, it's burgundy. almost a chocolatey yeah. colour, actually. The, more, the more sun, the darker yeah. it is. That's right. And uh, so those sort of plants are out there, and lots of people get excited by them. But I like them, but I think they have to be used in moderation because unless you're a goth, you're going to end up with a very gothic garden (laughs) if you plant too much burgundy foliage stuff. So if that's your intention, that's fine. But if you didn't really intend to go down that path, um, and of course anything with dark foliage, if it's not out in the light where it can light up the foliage, it actually creates a black hole in the garden. Yeah, it creates a dark space. But yeah. they're, they're often good in sort of shady areas because they've got the darker foliage. They don't need as much light. Mm. But they're fantastic foliage, you know, contrast oh, yeah. plants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And a feature. There's something yeah, you would use they're used as a well, they can be fantastic. Yeah. And I do love burgundy foliage, but I do see this trap where you can get carried away. There's a garden up in Kyneton, and I don't know whether the owners are going to be listening in or not, but they've painted this lovely old Victorian weatherboard as sort of a dark, plummy, burgundy colour with, I think, black trim, which is really weird. But then they've planted the front garden up with purple-leafed sambucas and, no. you know, so all these really it dark foliage. and. And I look at it, and every time I go past it, I think, well, it's quirky and it's interesting, but all the colours are blending into each other. Mm. Um, and so the, the value of those dark foliage plants is sort of being lost against the darkness of the house. Yeah, so the the um, crepe myrtle with the dark foliage, I'm considering putting in, it's my cousin's garden, they're building a new house at the moment, so we've been talking about different plants that we mm. can put in their garden because they're building a house in that Hampton style that's very popular at the oh, moment. Yeah. Mm. So they're going to have you know pale grey and white weatherboard so the purple foliage will stand out as a real um, feature from the house whereas that that house in Kyneton, they're all going to blend in. You're it not going to be able to see anything. I mean, it's really odd. You expect somebody in a witch's hat to walk out the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stephen. I know. And if you are listening in, yes, it's a really interesting concept. And, and if it works for you, that's what gardens are all about. Yeah. I have that's to say. gardening, isn't it? It is gardening. And, you know, I can be full of my... I can pontificate about what you should or shouldn't <laughs> be doing, uh, just like the best of them. And he's not going near Kyneton. Yeah, yeah well, I go, go up there quite regularly. Uh, but you know, what isn't to my taste doesn't matter in yep. some ways. It's mm. a matter of, you know, so if mm. you want, I only think people should do whatever they want in their garden and the only thing they should do about it is to do it with conviction. So yes. whatever they really want, uh, I always say, you know, if you want dwarves in the garden, make sure you've got all seven. Um, <laughs> you know, so and I actually saw a garden. Yeah, I you've actually got to take saw a off. garden with the seven dwarves in the front of the garden and instead of Snow White standing between them, they had a statue of E.T. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <what>? <laughs> Where was <laughs> Where was this? Carlsruhe. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Long gone, the people sold the house, and I assume that they demanded to be able to take all their statuary with mm. them because new people moved in and it was all gone. Mm. Uh, but they had the Seven Dwarves, they had E.T., they had a little windmill over in the corner. Um, uh, they had, I love those gardens. Know, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and all it was was cut grass and statuary. There wasn't oh, a shrub wow. anywhere. Really? Yeah, and I, to this day I regret not having taken some photographs. Uh, it was just incredible. But That's that was fun. somebody who loved what they were doing. They are, they are having so much fun yeah, what they are they doing, were. and you cannot... That's what you should be doing. And, and they're, out in, they're out in the garden, they're yep. enjoying themselves. Yep. Yeah. They've created their How he mowed that grass is beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, talking about out in the garden doing stuff, I think today's Garden Relief Day, is which it? is about gardening... Or is it a day, and day for gardening? Gardening for your mental it. health and you know mm. therapeutic horticulture have been talking about a lot this week. And gardening does do that. Get outside, yeah. and it's your immediate point of contact with nature it if you is, can't get yeah. into a local bushland or a national park or something. It's true. It is your headspace, isn't it? Yeah. You're out there. And you, you, do, you, have, and you should do what you want with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine to get advice, especially about growing things, but if you've got a passion for a certain plant, I love to encourage it. I mean, I'm president of Plant Trust, so you know we're an organisation that registers collections, so mm. anybody who's you know become passionate about a certain group of plants, I'm all for that because yep. they're keeping genetic diversity, um, they're getting excited, they're probably entering them in the flower show, they're, you know, they're getting involved in the whole horticultural cycle. They'd be doing trials with different potting mixes. Yeah. Or oh, they'd be doing feeder and, and cross-pollinating yeah. things. But that, that's one of the things, isn't it? Those groups, without those groups, Groups, great tracks of plants disappear. And I can yep. remember, I'm just indulge me for a minute, back when I was a young fellow in one of the garden clubs in Hobart. You can remember that we, far back. I can remember <laughs> that far back. And, and I was involved in dahlias. And, and you know, the, 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 the people in that club disappeared and the club, people lost interest in those particular varieties of dahlias. And I look around now mm. and, and I'm seeing some of the dahlia varieties outsold now as new releases. And and it's really not. All those old-fashioned plants, all those good old varieties, have mm. all disappeared because some of the clubs, the members have moved on, and and, and they some of them have gone so that, to falling off their tweets. Such a good job, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you well, know, I wasn't going to say that being my first time at all. I don't know. <laughs> oh, why no, you're I allowed to say things like that. Oh, am I? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. No, if somebody's passed on, they've passed on. You know, it's so. the same with a lot of smaller um, um, boutique nurseries as well. They, they get outcompeted by the big green shed and, and, and very large nurseries and you end up with, you know, more monoculture or less diversity yeah. in the nursery plants that we can buy. So we need to encourage people to, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and become you know, nuts about one genus. societies and garden clubs and, and all those groups that encourage people to grow certain groups of plants, we should be supporting yeah. them. Because Absolutely. It's, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, we have a begonia society in, in, in Australia. I think we have a Victorian. We have, we have one, one in each city. There's yeah. two in Victoria. Yeah. One in so, ah, yes. in Melbourne. Yeah. So, you know, so if you're interested in that group of plants, that may be certainly a way to go. Um, actually, what we haven't discussed, Peter, and we must do it right now, is oh, you're talking cool. about your begonias uh, and that you've got a lovely display on. But if people want to come and see it, one, where do they go? And secondly, what are your hours so that they can come visit? All right, come along, have a look, because we really do want it to get out there and want people to talk about it. It's in Ashbourne Road, which is this little tiny hamlet left at the traffic lights at Wood End, and follow it through. There's there's a big sign on the drive, right on the driveway. It's It's about seven k's out, isn't it? It's it's about six minutes, yeah, Yeah. so about seven k's out. And it's Um, a very pretty drive. It's it's a lovely drive out in the country. There's some nice little restaurants in Wood End. Now, we're open from 10 till 4, 
what is it? It's the weekend. Oh, yes. I've lost the yes. day. Here. It's all right. You got it's up really early. early this I didn't think of it. We're open Tandor for Saturday and Sunday and public holidays, and with Easter coming up, yep. come on out, have a look. And well, you're staying open till when? We, look, we, we'd like to be open for Mother's Day for people to come and have a look and bring Mum up. Just, mm. just come name up and have a look. Name a begonia after. Name a, if you want to, <laughs> name a begonia after Mum. And, and have some fun. Just, just get back in, have some fun in the garden. Have some fun. It's a great industry. We're, we're never going to be rich, but, we're, but <laughs> if, not if, the point. if today is gardening day, for you know, mm. we, we must be the healthiest people out there, Stephen. I reckon. <laughs> well, I like to kid myself anyway. Uh, we haven't had anybody ring in for a moment, so I better... Just give the number again if anybody would like to ring in and have a chat to us. Uh, we're going right through to 9.15, and so we've got still three quarters of an hour to go, more or less. Um, so the number is 94190155. So that's 94190155. And you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. And I'll continue with begonia, shall Please. I? Please. All right. So, so we've, we've got our begonia got into winter. We've kept him, but it's... All right, we'll, we'll, we'll be, we won't be sexist. We've kept it bone dry over winter in a frost-free area. And, and it'll sit there. It, it, whether you take them out of the pots or whether you dry store them, and by dry storing them, I mean, remove it from its pot. Don't reach into the pot and rip the poor thing out. Knock, take the pot off the, the root ball and remove the soil from the tuber. Because what happens with begonias is they have some anchor roots on them. Roots are broken up into several different forms. With the feeder roots and the anchor roots, we really don't want the poor plant to have to make, spend the nourishment to make more anchor roots. So you dry this little... It's, it's, it really is a woody corm in a, in a frost-free area in the dark over winter. And we really don't bother to to restart them until September to October. And they'll tell you. All you've got to do is look at the bulb. It'll mm. show you what's little pink shoots. But, but also, having said pink, most plants will show you somewhere on them. Do you know that if you look at a plant's leaves or its stems or its bud, it'll have some colour pigment there. And nine times out of ten, you can, without seeing a plant flower, you can pick what colour it's going to be. Actually, it's interesting you mentioned that because I had exactly that thing happen to me the other day. Uh, I bought from a supplier who will remain unmentioned uh, mm. some young uh, bleeding heart plants. Oh, uh, yes, Dicentra spectabilis, yes. which is now Laprocapnos spectabilis. Um, and I bought a tray of white flowered ones and I bought a tray of pink flowered ones. And amongst the ones in the white tray, there were definitely three or four plants that had pink in the stems, and I'm convinced that they were the pink ones that had got muddled up with the white ones. So mm. you can tell quite early with yeah, some you plants. Can. And you know that happens with clivias. The, mm. the yellow early in the, when the yellow clivia was new out there, there are an awful lot of clivias walking around with yellow tags on them, and you saw these lovely red tins on the stems. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and you know. People, people flowered them and they came, they didn't come to me, but they would come up to us at the shows and say, are you sure that's a yellow clivia? And I'd always point out to people, look at your plant, just yeah. study it, yeah. look down your stem, look at the leaves, it will show you somewhere on the yeah. plants. And, and yes, that, that, that Lamprocapnus, I'm old school, Dicentra. Yes. <laughs> you, uh, you know what I'm talking about if we say Peter, heart. we do need to keep up, though, to a certain extent. Uh, I put myself in the enviable position of being seen as some sort of expert, and I feel the need to keep up with the plant name changes, if I can. Um, and I, I would say to people that, you know, they're not doing it to get up our noses, although it does. It does. Um, what they're trying to do is get a standard plant naming system going, and now that they can check 
genes and chromosomes and other things. Mm-hmm. They're finding some plants are more closely related or less closely related than they thought, so name changes are inevitable. Um, and at some point or another, there will become... It'll get down to a p- point where it sort of eases out a bit. It's almost but generational change. So, so can, I, can yeah. I just say, Steve, you, so, so the people out there, the, the horticultural industry works internationally with nomenclature, plant nomenclature. So that is the genus and species yeah. and cultivars of plants. So, for example, if we go to somewhere in Europe and we say Dicentra spectabilis or Bleeding mm. Heart, common names are a classic trap where several plants have the same common name internationally. Yeah. So mm. I think, Steve, what the botanists are trying to do, and correct me here if I'm wrong, is I will. Whether, <laughs> whether you go to some American nursery people, horticulturalists, mm. or you go to, to some Europeans or you go to some Asians, we will all have exactly the same genus and species mm. and it will mean exactly the same plant and, that's, and exactly yeah, that's the what same we're trying country. to aim for so so if i go off and i say i want some bleeding hearts in america what i could end up with anything yes. couldn't i yeah, yeah and that's the problem with when people use common names at the shows and and in these ring-in programs we, we get confused because suddenly somebody will be talking about a bleeding heart and mm. we're thinking it's a little perennial, and they could be calling well, could in be and Queensland talking, thing talking about the, the tropical vine. could be something their grandmother called a random plant and, and, yeah. because she didn't know the proper name. And, and granny's bonnets are another great mm. one. How many plants are out there wearing the hat yep. granny's bonnets? Mm. All right, we've got some calls coming Oops. in, so we better get back to that. Sorry. But before I do, apparently somebody's been trying to call in, and our people on the, off- on the lines can hear them, but they apparently can't hear us. So uh, perhaps if, if you're the person who's been trying to ring in and you can't hear yeah. uh, on the other line, perhaps try a different phone, maybe? Or perhaps you could try the text, our text yeah, message or line. Try so the number for that is 0488-809-855. Yeah, so that could work if you're trying to get through. Just All repeat right. that number again, Stephen, the text No, number. I can't. I'll do it. <laughs> you do it. Zero four eight eight. Eight zero nine eight five five. If you want to send us a question over the text line, yeah, you can do that and we'll too. try and deal with it that way. Yeah. All right, we've got some calls coming through, so we better get moving on some of these. Um, Everyone's had a Sunday morning yeah, sleep in, and they call yep. the end of the show. Anne, are you there? Anne from Glenroy. Oh, uh, hello, um, everyone. How are you all this morning? Very, Very good. Well. Thank how you, Anne. How are you, and how can we help you? Uh, I want to talk about herbs. Yeah. Uh, I've got a little thyme plant. It's in um, a, a small blue container without any drainage, so I don't give it much water. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't look all that blooming bright at the moment. What What's off. the plant, Anne? What sort of? I know it's a herb, but which thyme. herb is it? Time. Time. Ah, time. Which which time is it? Is it is it the orange peel one, the lemon one? The, the which which time is it? Because some are ground covers, Green. some are bushy ones, um, and and they all look Green. different at different times. And some of them go into winter and look quite deciduous as well, especially the caraway times. Oh, right. Yeah. Now I have to say though, Anne, <laughs> never grow thyme in a holeless pot. Any herbs. Any herbs for that matter, but thyme particularly because a lot of those are Mediterranean herbs. They need Sharp, good drainage. So does it make sense? Um, yes, I do understand. Yeah, well, uh, I think you should take it out of that pot me. and repot it. Is right. it in the pot you bought it in? Uh, I didn't buy it. It was just there. It was given to me. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, so look, 
time, even if you're being very careful with your watering, there's likely to be a moisture build-up in the bottom of the pot. Uh, the only way you're going to get around that is to put it in a pot with proper drainage holes in it. So I would recommend you do that oh, post-haste. Right. I, I, w- I wouldn't right. leave it in that pot for any longer than you have to. And when you take it out of the existing pot, you may well find that it's a bit mushy in the bottom or something like that, and that will tell you why the plant's not really happy. Oh, well, I expect it to improve. Hmm. It should improve if you get it out of that pot. Doesn't it? Uh, now, um, the other thing I wanted to chat about too, I believe you've had a little bit of water lately, and uh, if anyone wants to help out, I think uh, it might be a good idea to cover anything with plastic just in case, because cardboard is very, very heavy to... Uh, Oh, do you mean, you mean you're protecting you're protecting plants with plastic to stop the rain getting on them? No, I'm not talking about plants. I'm talking about anything that you want to transport to anybody as a present. Just cover it over with plastic. Oh yes, if you oh, as a present to yeah, give yeah. away to somebody. Yeah. Oh, we'd, we'd yeah, get wet. Much better it? than cardboard. You're right. Oh, yeah, to get wet. That's right. All right. And, well, uh, we better move last, on, though, Anne. Last, We've got a few Stephen, calls coming through, Stephen, Anne, Char- Stephen charges after the first two questions. Yeah. <laughs> if you're really quick, um, Anne, we can probably deal with one more thing, but we've got a lot of calls coming through. Uh, my book is coming out soon called Poetic Reflections. Mm-hmm. It's going to be available for sale at a reasonable price. And uh, I've got an inkling that uh, it might be a good uh, spot to start it with in Collingwood. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, that's All right. it. Thank All you right, very thank much. You, Good luck we'll with that catch one. up in due course. <laughs> Bye. We've got a few more people coming through. Yes, we've got quite a number here. Uh, we've got Paula in Glenroy. Are you there, Paula? Hello. Stephen, did you get the button? Yes, I think I did hit the button, but we'll try we'll it again. Try again. Good morning. More, are you Good there, Good morning. Ah, oh, oh, there Good. we are. Got you. How can Good we help morning. you? Good morning. Good morning. We're here. How can we help you, Paula? Okay. I've got a tree fern. Yeah. Which tipped over. It's an old one. And I went out yesterday and I found it, it tipped all over. Can I cut it from the bottom and replant it? It depends on the tree fern. If it's Dixonia antarctica, which is our common soft tree fern, um, then yes, you no, can... No, it's one, it's one of those that have... Um, what do you call it? How, how long have you had it? Oh, I've had them. I've got five of them. They are always beautiful, lush and green. Did, did, you buy, did you buy them from a nursery or did you buy them cut oh, off or yes, did you buy them as pot plants? A long time ago, a long time ago. And, but this one started to, to bend and I thought it's only natural and eventually it, it cuts right down from the bottom. Yeah, but, well it sounds like a Dixonia, in which case, yes, you can just slice off the bottom of the trunk and replant it into the ground, cut the fronds back um, uh, and water the trunk, make sure you keep the trunk damp, uh, and if it's a Dixonia, the top part of the tree fern will regrow again. So should I cut the ferns off? Yes, cut the fronds back because they're going to collapse anyway once you remove it from its 
it'll have root no, system. It'll have no roots. It's yeah. already on different ground anyway. Yeah, well, just clean up the bottom of the ho- the thing, cut the fronds back, just leave stubs of the fronds because they'll help protect the new ones as they start to come up, um, and then replant it in a hole deep enough to make sure that it stands up. So you need to put no, enough I trunk in the ground. I can't do it straight away because I need help. Yeah. Can I cover it and wet it? Or? Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Just keep the trunk damp until you can get some help. Okay, thank you very much for that. And by sorry, another one quickly. I forgot to I forgot to feed my citrus fruit. Yeah. My oranges. Can I do it now? It's getting you probably still could get away with it. It is getting later as the cooler weather comes in. Um, they already have fruit on them. Yeah, yeah. Well you can still feed normally you feed citrus in autumn and spring. Um we're still in autumn. Uh, I would like to feed the end of summer, early autumn, sort of February, early March is, is about as late yeah, as I'd I normally go. Yeah, I forgot to do that. Can uh, I do it now? Yeah, I would. Mm. Okay. Thank don't you very, fluff very around, much. though. Yes, don't take Thank too you. much time over it. You need to get it done. Thank you very much. That's Bye-bye. a pleasure, Paula. Bye. All right. We've got one more here that we should go to because Emma has been very patient. Are you there, Emma? Emma. Yes, I am. Ah, good morning. <laughs> good morning. You're from uh, Point Cook. How can we help you? Well, I, for sentimental reasons, wanted a Lorraine Lee rose. Mm-hmm. I finally chose one, and which is a creeping variety. Now, the, and which just keeps travelling far and wide with very yeah. few flowers. Uh, where mum's shrub roses, there always seem to be at least two or three flowers on them. Mm-hmm. What, what do I do? Just... Well, you've bought the wrong one if you, want to, if you want to keep it controlled. Um, the climbing Lorraine Lee is quite a vigorous plant. Um, yeah. And so it's going to put a lot of effort into growth. And if you keep hacking it back to try and control the size of it, it's going to put even more effort into growth. So pruning oh, okay. it isn't going to control it. Yeah, I haven't done much pruning. Yeah. I just, when it gets to the clothesline, I cut that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, it's uh, only a baby yet. Yeah, yeah, so Lorraine Lee is probably the most famous of the roses that were bred at Glenara by, um, what's his name, Alistair Clark. Um, and, of course, because in our, our climate it's inclined to be winter blooming as well, which makes yeah. it quite unique amongst roses. That's right. Um, but the shrub one is much more manageable than the climbing version, and unless you've got a fairly large area you can allow it to have uh, so that it can grow up to its maximum size and then settle down and flower well, if you keep hacking it back to keep it out of the way, then it's just going to keep throwing out more branches. Yeah, no, as I say, I only, when it gets to a point where I really don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's I, not I much just thought if I cut it, yeah, yes. Yeah, so you can't do too much to it. No. Because uh, they are a vigorous rose. But they are. Wedding Day, Lorraine Lee, they're, I've, I've seen them 25 metres up a gum tree. They're yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah. Oh. They, yeah, they can get pretty big. I haven't big. got any gum trees. Uh, yes, if you yeah. have a gum tree to grow them up, that's the probably a problem. The perfume is so beautiful. Yeah. They're beautiful gorgeous, perfume. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a lovely rose. But, yeah. yes, the climbing one probably wasn't the best choice you could have made. Okay. But, I know. might see if I can come across a shrub one. And you, you, you could put some dormant plants in somewhere where you've got space to let it go when you prune it this winter. What was that, sorry? You, you can always put some dormant cuttings in in an area you've got to let it go rather than trying to contain it. Let it go. It'll show its yeah. full beauty. Yes, yes, all right. Well, it's doing its best and I'll just continue to do what I'm doing. Yeah, and then and yes, if you can get a bush one at some stage, it's probably going to be more appropriate for your garden. Yes, beautiful. Thanks right. for your help. I That's love your chatters. Right. Bye now. Bye. 
We've had someone text in on the yes. SMS ah. line. I have a lapidaria that is struggling that I would like to move. When should I move it? Ah. This might have been May that was trying to call before. Yes, it could well be. Lapidarias. Uh, lapidarias are the prima donnas of the climbing plant world. Uh, they're renowned for being um, difficult even when you give them just the right conditions sometimes. Uh, so, But if I was moving one, I'd be waiting for another few weeks until the weather cools right down and then move it. As much soil as you can get on that root ball, bear in mind, they do like calcium. Mm. Lapidarias love the calcium. Mm. Cutting it back is really not going to help very much. It's going to drop its leaves. I suppose yeah. that's the old rule of thumb, isn't it? When you move a plant, you reduce its roots, so you really should be reducing its foliage yeah. to help it along. But if and it, it hasn't been doing terribly well, it probably hasn't got an awful lot be, of that. It would be interesting to know how much sh- shade or sun that's getting. It's like yeah, I've, yeah I've they, look, they're really funny them. plants. I give people all the information I can on growing one, and they'll go away and they'll do all the right things, and they will still struggle sometimes. Um, and yet I remember I had an elderly lady friend who was not really a regular customer and wasn't really a gardener, but she lived in Camberwell somewhere. She had a lovely big house with a swimming pool and all these things around it. And she saw a pink lapidaria in flower at my nursery and fell in love with it. And I could tell straight away when I was telling her what to do that she wasn't really paying attention. And, you know, I told her about the amount of light they need. I told her to be careful of slugs and snails. I told her about what sort of soil to grow it in, if she was going to grow it in a pot. Um, uh, I gave her all the lowdown on how to grow this lapidaria. Anyhow, I bumped into her daughter about two years later, and it was just getting on towards Christmas time, and her daughter said, oh, why don't you come round to Mum's for a drink and you can have a look at her plant? And I went, "Uh uh-oh. And so, anyhow, I did. I manned up and off I went, and uh, and we had a drink, and she said, oh, I've got to show you my my chilli and flower plant that that I bought from you. She couldn't remember the botanical name. And so we went outside, and here in a water well pot with a wire tripod, sitting out on the brickwork around the swimming pool, was the most floriferous lapidaria I have <laughs> ever seen in my life. It was laden in pink blooms and looking rudely healthy. Uh, and as far as I could work out, she'd done all the wrong things. And there it was. <laughs> Do you know, that's, I have that same problem with Daphnis. Every year I try to grow yeah, a Daphne yeah. plant and I cannot. And I've, I've been to friends' places who are not gardeners by any stretch yeah. of the imagination and shoved in the worst positions yeah. will be the most thriving Daphnis I've ever seen in yep. my life. And it annoys the daylights out of me. <laughs> It's I'm just, sorry, it's, it's but I'm so fair. jealous. Yeah, and I know I never get a bunch of flowers. Yeah, never. Okay. Where do lepidaria grow naturally? They grow Chile. in the forests in Chile. Chile. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. actually the Chilean floral emblem. They've got a pretty ah. snazzy floral emblem, I have to it say. It is very snazzy. Oh, I've not come across one before, but yeah, uh, it's I a beautiful plant. Names. The flowers are about four or five inches in the old measurements, wow. so they're quite big. They're flowering now. They tend to flower in the late summer, autumn, and into early winter yep. usually. Uh, the flowers are very thick-petaled and very heavily textured, so they're almost plasticky in, in almost feel. Almost plastic, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. and mm. they last for ages. They'd make the mm. white version of it. Would you'd sell thousands of them if you had enough flowers of them for bridal work? Oh, at Melbourne um, yeah. National Flower and Garden Show. They were selling them as cut flowers there in, in, in the flower hall yeah. some years ago. Yeah. yeah. So stunningly beautiful thing, but it mm. is a prima donna. Yeah. Uh, mm. And sometimes it will thrive where it shouldn't be, and other people will do all the right things, and the plant will sit there and sulk. Yeah, just right. like Pete and his death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. it sort of won't, it won't die promptly either. 
you know, no, they oh, struggle, the slow don't they? death. Yeah, they, that's they a prima donna death shoot, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm dying and yes. I'll take forever. Yeah, yeah. Five, Plants that do yes. that drive me nuts. I'd rather something die promptly. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Lapageria is one of those challenging plants. I mean, all the Chileans that come into my nursery, get they swoon mm. when they see it because it's their national flower and they get terribly excited. They very rarely will spend the money to buy one, I might add, because they are quite expensive. They are. Um, they? But they are slow. Oh, yeah. Look, if you're raising them from seed, it can take you three years to get a saleable plant easily um, and then it might still not flower for another couple of years right. um, I, I think someone's out there tissue culturing some more modern hybrids it could days, be, I, I haven't come across them yet I, most of mine in the nursery at the moment are seedling ones that have either been raised off a pink one, a white one or a reddish one but I can't guarantee the colours yeah, and you get that lovely mix of flowers don't you yeah. you can actually get the apple blossom flowers yeah. through them oh, you get soft gorgeous things, just yeah. lovely yeah. and I have seen them in the wild uh, that was another one of those oh, things I did years ago seen everything it's, in the wild. He's good yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, it's one of my life's ambitions, and COVID's got in the way slightly, <laughs> yes. to go and see as many iconic plants of the world as yeah. I can. So I've seen the baobabs in Madagascar. I've seen the giant water lilies in the Amazon. I've seen mm. lapageria and monkey puzzles in Chile. Uh, I've seen the wellwitzias in the, in the desert of Namibia. I've been to the giant redwood forests in Northern California. So there is something very special about seeing favourite plants in the wild. Oh, and uh, you, can, you can draw so many conclusions or observations yeah. from that of how they grow and how you could and, then and they're grow just them. not like you expected them to be no. yeah. they're just yeah. they're natural and yeah. different yeah. aren't yeah. they they're remarkable uh, well we've had a couple of text messages come in Stephen. Ah. he's having trouble seeing that <laughs> yes <laughs> i am he's squinting uh, now our dicks the one about dixonia ah uh, yes uh it keeps having babies oh yes well uh. in damp gardens tree ferns will self spore Spore. I suppose they're not seedlings, they're sporlings. Yes. And, um, and, and we thought begonia seed was fine. That's yeah. very fine, yeah. isn't it? So, yes, yeah, so you will, in fact, um, uh, yes, you'll get baby tree ferns come up yep. if you've got a nice damp garden. And so you can be generous with friends or you can transplant them to other parts of the garden, keeping in mind that they take some years to start developing a And, well, they look like moss to start with, don't yeah. they? Yeah, oh, yeah, You're just this little sort of liverworty thing yes, that grows there. Yes. So... Uh, and apparently Elizabeth's happy we're back on air too, which yeah. is nice. <laughs> um, Elizabeth also asked, is she missed the name of the vigorous, vigorous rose oh, we're talking about? That was, that was Lorraine Lou. Lorraine yep. Lou. And she said, is it okay to grow at 800 metres above sea level? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Lorraine Lee is a tough old rose. So, yep. um, uh, I mean, like any rose, it could be um, possum fodder. It could be wallaby fodder. Deer fodder. Uh, you know, deer fodder. Uh, you know, roses apparently are tasty to almost every herbivore known to man. Which is bizarre because they're full of thorns. Yeah, but they don't <laughs> seem to care. No. <laughs> and so there could be those issues if you're out in the bush a bit. But, um, uh, yeah, Lorraine Lee would be an easy rose for most people to grow. It mm. is quite an easy rose. Um, all right. Now, somebody has rung in about lily pillies. Last year, only one bunch of berries. This year, none. Uh, and it's from Liz in, Clim- in Clematis. I keep going to say Clematis. Clematis. <laughs> <laughs> I get into trouble for that all the time. Uh, it's like going to Castle Maine and not Castle Maine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We say it sounds to me like the lily pilly just needs more time. Or, or, yes. it's, or it's, been a, it's, been, it's not been a normal summer this year, yeah. so flowering wasn't the same and maybe pollination wasn't yeah. the same it, either. So. And it could be a young plant that she's got might it need a bit more time to... Plant. 
um, it might be an adolescent. Yes, it could be. Yeah. Um, it flowered and fruited last year, so maybe maybe yeah. it's just the summer. It might just, just the cold, this mm. cold season. Now Pollination has no. Somebody's rung in, but I can't work out what line they should be on. I heard you talk about mulching a crepe myrtle. Should I do that with my Bramley apple? I have bugs in my garden that eat everything, and they ate the blossoms, so mm. I got no fruit. No, I, I think they're soldier bugs. And that, I think that yeah. was down to, to that cold. Um, yeah, spring it's about when, when pollination, pollination was supposed to be happening out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and but look, mulch most, is plants, good. most plants appreciate a mulch. Mm. You know, it's there's not many good. plants that like to have bare ground. Mulch for won't help German control irises. whatever bugs might it, be yeah. no. uh, living uh, in and around, though. I wonder what sort of bugs mm. that is. We'd need to know. She said, I think they're soldier bugs, but... Um, it could be a harlequin beetle. It could be or harlequins. Like or yeah. It could be those yellow and green ones that get across all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. So the bug thing we probably can't help much with, but yeah, Maybe. mulch is 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 a given for almost everything in the garden. It keeps weeds down. It keeps roots cool. It keeps moisture in. Uh, it looks dressed up. It's an insulator. It's yeah. It's got everything going for Absolutely. it. So yes, if you want to mulch your apple tree, don't think twice about it. Um, somebody has rung in wants to know about my septic system. <laughs> <laughs> We've well, been we talking about SHIT for about two hours now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we don't we talk have. about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, oh, look, I, th- I think we can just quickly go into this. Um, if people are on a septic system out in the bush uh, and they're ready for a new system, mm. a we lot of the councils... We don't have the mod cons of, of the city people, do we? No, we don't. We, 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 we do have septic lines and we do have septic tanks and we do have all those sort of things in the bush. Uh, if you're getting to a point where your septic system may be becoming dysfunctional and you need to rethink having what you've got, then that would be the time to look at alternatives. And the one we opted for was the worm composting toilet system. Uh, and there's a company called ANA Worm Farms. So if anybody wants to know more about them, they could get in touch with Evan and... Um, oh forgotten his name. Anyhow, the people down at the worm farm place. And the way it works, it's aerobic instead of anaerobic. So you actually have a stink pipe that Mm. keeps your septic system aired and they put composting worms in there and it has a sort of a mat underneath it um, and the worms eat everything that goes in there. It then uh, goes and and all your grey water and your black water all go through the system Uh, and at the end you have this fairly nutrient-rich water, basically. It's just like dirty water Mm. that ends up going into your realm drains that are around the garden. What drains? Realm. Realm drains. Realm drains. They're the drains that you use with septic tank systems which have slotting along them so that the moisture can go out all the way along them. Now, the difference is that with an anaerobic system, uh, although the nutrients go out into your garden, it's smelly, it's difficult... Most plants aren't that keen on it, uh, and it doesn't really help anybody. Oh, is that the system? Sometimes you smell dirt. It's like dirty washing water and that sort of stuff. Is that an anaerobic system? Yeah, that is. Yeah. So my system being aerobic, the worms go through it all. They eat the stuff. It then goes through them. It becomes worm wee or whatever you want to call it, and it goes out through my garden. And because it's aerobic and not anaerobic, the tree roots and all the plants around it are taking up the nutrients and water. Mm. And so we don't end up with a smelly patch at the end mm. uh, because it's all being dealt with. And, and it works really, really well. And it costs virtually no more to install that sort of system as it does to install a classical septic system. And these days, most people are being forced into putting in those chemical systems like mm. the Tailex ones, where you have to have them pumped out every few years anyway. Yeah. Who gets the job to come and clip the worms to go fishing? 
Who gets that job? I no. want to know. The, my worms never go fishing. They stay where they are doing their good job. So <laughs> well, it's an underground oh, system? It, like it, they actually septic? retrofitted my old septic tank. Okay. Uh, uh, about, about what sort of a price range are we looking at? Well, for? I'm going roughly. back a long time ago. Oh, yeah, um, this was done probably 15 or 20 years ago. Mm. And it cost around about the same amount to do it, which I think was about three or four grand at the time. It's probably double that now. Um, but it was going to cost us that much to connect to the sewerage. And then, but then you'd have to pay um, clean-out fees if you had a chemical one. Yes, you've got well. to, so the chemical ones, you've got to have them cleaned out. Yeah. Yeah. And if you connect to the sewerage, you pay sewerage rates, yeah. uh, which I think in our area is about 300 bucks a year Something for like that, sewered yeah. areas. And so we've already more than made back the money we would have paid on yeah. sewerage rates by not having to pay sewerage rates because we're not on the sewerage. And, and the air vent, that obviously doesn't let out a stinky No, it's, it's up in the air. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's attached to the side of our house like any other stink pole would have been. Um, uh, I mean, normally they're not aesthetically interested, so they tend to stick it in the middle of the garden. So mm. I, I made them dig a trench up and put it on the side of the house yeah. uh, so that it was hidden around the blind side of the house where people couldn't see it. Yeah. Um, but I can open up the lid, throw all the crap, crap, <laughs> all the rubbish <laughs> in there. I don't have yeah. to throw the crap in. That's, the that's already there. Um, but I can throw all my things in. There's no smell, uh, and the worms deal with everything, and it's fantastic. It's the yeah. best thing we ever did. And we've got two houses and we connected the same system, well, not the same system, we connected two systems, one to each house, uh, because you can't connect two properties together with their sewerage. So so we had to put in two worm farms, um, which we did. Um, And so quite literally, again, I'm a net waste importer, not exporter. What's the name of that company again? ANA Worm Farms. And they're still around? Yep. And if you have a problem, I mean, it's got a pump involved, so Mm. occasionally the pump breaks down or something like that and you've got to get it serviced. Um, But I ring Alan. Uh, at ANA, <laughs> his name popped into it, and he comes out or he sends somebody out to check the pump and see what's going on, if something's jammed or whatever, and they fix it very quickly for me. Um, so in all the years we've had it, I think we've had to have them out a handful of times for mm. different things, mainly to do with the pump. Uh, the system itself functions superbly, and I don't know how much stuff I've thrown down there over the years. I mean, mm. I put a section of tree fern log down there once to see what would happen, and it disappeared. Ooh, cool. I wonder what happens. I wonder if there's a way of recycling the methane these days. There must be, I suppose. Well, I don't know that there's any sort of methane issue with this because it's aerobic. There's no sort of yeah, methane's of only released in an anaerobic. Yeah, oh, okay. so in an aerobic system, it's not going to create methane. Yep. So, so really, uh, it does all the right things. Mm. Um, and and it's environmentally sensitive. The water that comes out the far end, you probably wouldn't use on your veggie garden, but you can use it anywhere around your garden garden. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the trees love it. Oh, they would. You know, so it's just fantastic. And we have never had, well, before we got this system in place, our old septic system was completely dysfunctional and we put in more drains and we did all sorts of stuff, but we got heavy clay soil. It just used to run to the end and bubble up. Yeah. And so we had what we called the bog garden. It would have been, literally. <laughs> Quite literally yes. the bog garden. You, you supplement feed as well. You don't just rely on, on the water that's coming out of the waste system. Uh, well, I don't supplement feed in the sense that I go around putting lots of fertilisers around, but I use a lot of mulches and manures around the garden. Right. Okay, Uh, But this is just part of that scenario. And why should I pay somebody to take away the water and the nutrients Mm. that I've created on site if I can recycle it on site? And that's what I do. How much water does it... it I mean, this would be relative to, you know, how much you run your washing machine and all that, yeah. but how much water does it push out? Like, if you're on a small, if you had a small garden or a small block, yeah. would it be an option? Yes, it is. Uh, a friend of mine did it on a less than quarter acre block in Wood End. 
Great. And he was having problems because the apparently the septic main line was about five metres down. Oh. And so they would have had to dig this enormous pit to get down to it. So he was the one that actually found this company and he started with a worm composting toilet system in Woodend and it worked perfectly well on his less than quarter acre block yeah. um, and so that's what set me going when they decided they were going to sue a Macedon I really wanted to find alternatives if I could and I did. Yeah, fantastic and it works really well. So and yeah. obviously you would produce more if there was more people living in the household Yeah, and, and look, the worms just l- build their levels. Yep. Yeah, I mean if you've mm. got one little old lady living in the house with virtually nothing mm. going into the system then your worm population will be small yep. uh, in my And that's case, the same with a regular worm farm Exactly, Yeah. You know, and in my case because I'm throwing a lot of stuff in there Yep. including old spuds, um, uh, my worm population in there, I'm assuming, is quite large, and it's surprising how quickly it starts to go down. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I nearly fill it to the gunnels, and you think, oh, God, this is going to be a now, problem. Do you need, do you add water to it? or no, it, it, is, gets it enough from liquefies. The, yeah, it liquefies. It gets enough water from, your from the washing water. machine and showering and any other water yep. in the house that goes through the system, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be particularly careful what you put into the system. I, I don't use a lot of bleach around the house because yeah. of my worm farm, but I can use normal detergents and yeah. all that sort of stuff without it being a no, problem. No, really, it doesn't have to be septic-specific. It's like a lot of them. No, no, it seems to work quite well. Yep. So there you go. Very interesting. Right. Uh, so there you go, a lady who would like me to talk about my septic system. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope, I hope that we're not been talking too much SHIT on radio. <laughs> So, what can I say? Um, All right, now, we've got uh, about 10 minutes to go, so we're getting close towards the end of the Mm -hmm. program. Is there anything that you wanted to tell us about, Chloe, that you didn't get a chance to talk about that now is your chance? Well, we were talking about um, people getting into, being enthusiastic about a particular genus of of plants before, and I've noticed that... um, I have a, a diploma group this year and very um, wide range of, of students, ages, ethnicities, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And they absolutely, we went into the greenhouse the other day and they're absolutely just tripping out over all the um, plants in the greenhouse. And sort of finding now that people are getting into gardening through, particularly people my age, getting into gardening through indoor plants because yeah. mm. they're living in apartments or renting so they can't have a garden, really getting into it and starting to love it you know, and deciding to go study horticulture yeah. and absolutely tripping out over these um, indoor plants. And I, it's And there's to me, there's a lot more to horticulture and plants in the garden world than either indoor plants and growing veggies. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's just... The diversity is mind-blowing. Yeah. But it's an entry point, so you've got to encourage it. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's so exciting seeing students are like, oh, though it was a begonia the other day, actually, with really um, sort of teacup-sized leaves, purple in stripes. One, purple. Of, the rec, one of the Rex begonias, by the sound of yeah, it. Yeah, it might one have been. Sort of a little squat. It was a little squat one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And purple around the margin and purple stripes and green stripes yep, through the leaf. The and they're like, this is amazing, this is so cool. And then they're telling me about the plants that they've got at home. And it was just really exciting. I, I mm. sort of, And I, it always makes me think back to when I started learning when I first went to TAFE. And yeah. it, everything just started to blow my mind. And I found my passion in Australian native plants. I just love the Australian flora. It's so unique. But plants we're talking about today, all these begonias are so unique yeah. and the lapageria yeah. before you know and that's 
from Chile. If I was, if I lived in Chile, I would be so excited about Chilean plants. Oh, Chile's got an amazing flora, but, and but it's because everywhere. they've got an amazing ecosystems and environments too, with all mm. the mount, like the mountain regions and South America in general is just so biodiverse. Yeah. Yeah. And climates within, microclimates. Yes. And, 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 and it's, it's, I can remember back to when I was an apprentice, which is some 40 years ago, and I think oh, Stephen's making, Stephen's making eyes at me. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you're right. And, 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 and your mind gets blown with the mm. simplest little things, and, yeah. and, and you become that, that, that ju- what is it? You, you open your, your mind and, and you just get the knowledge poured in, and, yeah. and you wander off, and then you start to speak to people. And, and we plant people. I, I think we have a bit, of a, um, a bit of a nutty gene in us as well, don't we? Because <laughs> yeah. we're we on seem, the spectrum. We, we, well, we seem to be able to yeah. talk with a mouthful of marbles under six foot of cement. And, yeah. and my mother always said, Oh, Peter. You didn't start talking until you were 10, and people <laughs> kept quiet since. And, and I'm thinking, well, let's just plant people, isn't it? Yeah. All right, we've got another yeah. call coming oh, through. Oh, here we go. Uh, Very and it's our friend Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. I right. just want to say that, you know, you're talking about uh, little nurseries not getting uh, enough uh, custom. Well, on April the 1st, Craig Wilson of Gentiana Farms Nursery in Olinda is coming to Burnley Horticultural, Room 10. And I'll do that the Sunday before, but I thought people might like to know if they want to buy alpine unusuals and so on, and they don't want to go up to Olinda, then they could come to Burnley to buy the And what was the date again, Jill? April the 1st. Thursday, 7.15 onwards, he's going to speak and then he'll bring his own plants to sell. Beautiful. And we all love Craig. He's a regular on the Yeah, he regularly comes into the program, yeah. so we're very happy to support Craig, He has a very, to say. very and wide I'll, range I'll of plants. Up there, isn't there? Yeah. I'll ring in again all right. the Sunday before. All right, thank you for doing that. Right. Let us know how Thanks, it goes. Stephen. All right, see you later. Thank you, Jill. All right, now I just remembered too, there's a, uh, an announcement I should make, which I forgot to do at the beginning of the program. Uh, Bishop's Court Garden is going to be open for Open Gardens Victoria next weekend. If people want to, I think you have to still book with the COVID things. You can't just roll up. Mm-hmm. So go into the website for um, open, Gardens. open Gardens Vic. Um, and Bishop's Court is a lovely old heritage garden um, in East Melbourne. Um, a beautiful old house. Uh, it's not open to the public very often, so this could be an opportunity for people to go and have a, a mm. squizzy around Bishop's Court. So yes. that's happening. Uh, we've only got a couple more minutes to run. Um, Gee, that flew, didn't it? It, it does quickly. go very fast, it Peter. It does go quickly. So, now, wow. just quickly. Address and times again for okay, Chambers Begonia for Gardens. That, for that, people come along and have a look. We're, we're 691 Ashbourne Road over in Ashbourne, just a little hamlet outside of Woodhen, le- left at the traffic lights if you're coming up the Calder Freeway. And I would like to say thanks, guys, for inviting me along, but I'll set the picture here for the people at home. This, this studio isn't at all... Large. It's it's probably <laughs> four square metres, blue walls, no windows. Used to be red Quite walls. claustrophobic. Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah. Quite claustrophobic. But there we go. I've done my best. And All we've right. got so spit panels up at the moment too. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're surrounded. them spit panels oh, last week. Oh, dear. Yeah, so what can I say? Um... <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't think I've got any other news to give. I think I've only had that one announcement. There's nothing you need to tell us about before we put our theme music just up, is it? Get out into the garden. And Whether everybody it's enjoy or it. Not. Just yes. enjoy, enjoy it. Don't garden. make a chore of it. Make it fun. Yes. yes. Well, exactly. 
all right. Well, it's uh, about two minutes to run, so... And I would like to thank Peter. I'd like to thank Chloe. I'd like to, I'd like to thank our helpers out in the other room, which yes. rarely get known about. So, Rosemary, thank you for your efforts this morning. Woohoo! Thank um, you. And, um, and to Karina as well. Yeah, and to Karina, us who's been helping help us, us out no end, and, and now I've got to work out what I'm doing next. Um, <laughs> So um, we will catch up with you in a couple of weeks' time. I'll be back in in a fortnight, Virginia, I think, next weekend. Yep. So uh, let's see if we can get the theme music up. And thanks, everybody, for your efforts today. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.